Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. What is the cost of doing business in the Pac-12 conference? Uh, if When it comes to assistant coaches... Washington's assistant coaching salary pool is $7.48 million. It's a lot of money. Recently gave uh, big raises to their offensive coordinator. Oregon's at $6.7 million. Washington State, $3.7 million. Do you see the difference there? Oregon State is boosting their salary pool. Again, Nick Dashiell has the details. I'll give you the details before we bring Dashiell on, but he just uh, posted a story in which he outlines the salaries for the 2023 season. The pool is at $4.75 million. That's an increase of 820000 from last season. And by the way, um, Oregon State has increased its assistant salary pool by $2.2 million since the end of Gary Anderson's era. Gary Anderson was bellyaching at the time. He didn't have the money. He couldn't hire new assistant coaches. He wasn't happy with his staff. Remember that? Yeah, I do. Well, or the Beavers' 10 assistant coaches got raises. The largest raise went to the offensive line coach and run game coordinator Jim Mahalchek, who will earn $775,000 next season. That's $200,000 raise for Mahalchek. He's now the second highest paid assistant on the staff behind Brian Lindgren, the offensive coordinator, who is making 825000 Um The other coaches, Blue Adams, defensive back coach, got a $400,000 salary over the next two seasons. That's a $75,000 raise. Jake Cookus, special teams coach, 370000 That's a $70,000 raise. Uh, Anthony Perkins, cornerback uh, coach, is making 270000 He got a $60,000 raise. Uh, bringing Nick Dashiell on, who uh, did the records request, got the salaries, did the legwork, take a victory lap, Dashiell. Uh, give me an idea. When you're trying to tell this story, Dashiell, like what's like you and I are sitting down having coffee. What are you leading with? Well, I, uh, first thing I want to look at is, is who's getting what and how how big a raise do they get and what's it you know what's it mean in terms of who who are they really targeting in this group and and it's pretty clear that Jim Mahalchik was job one on this on this group making sure that he's happy and and staying here. I mean, they gave him that's the biggest that's the biggest salary increase I think I remember under Smith during his tenure here. If I I, I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure 200,000 over one season is the largest I've seen, you know, since since Smith has been here. Um, and now he has moved into the, you know, the second spot in in, in terms of salary behind Brian Lindgren. Um, he's he's passed um, uh, Trent Bray, um, so they clearly want to make him happy. And I and, and he's pretty easy to keep stay keep happy, but you know, there's no no. No point in uh, you know taking any chances because, as we know, that offensive line is what makes this team go. Yeah, because if I'm an opposing team and I'm looking to improve my run game, Mahal checks the hire, right? Do you get a sense that maybe what happened here is that somebody came calling on Mahal check, or are they just being proactive? I think they're being proactive. I mean, he's 
I mean, I'm not saying he's, you know, old, 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 but he's, you know, he's getting up there in, in years. And, and so I don't know, you know, I don't know that, you know, everybody's going to, going to want it. You know, he's been around a while and, and people know who he is. I don't, you know, I don't know for sure if people went after him, but I am surprised that they really only lost one, one coach off the staff. And, I mean, God, the combination of the culture at that place and the fact that they, they keep raising salaries, I mean, they're, they're keeping people happy. I mean, the yeah. other one that stood out to me, I thought, was they they continue to to, to add to um, Mike McDonald's salary. He's up to 450000 now, and he's not part of that $4.75 million salary pool. To, he's the strength and conditioning coach. I mean, he's – you know, behind the coordinators and, and Mahalchek, he's the, he's the next highest paid guy. And, you know, it's important that, that what he's done, his, his job that he's done down there is every bit as important as anybody else there because he's got these guys in shape and, and it's the off-season program is humming and, and they're willing to pay for it. Nick Daschle is with us, covers Oregon State. Um, look, um, obviously this takes a financial commitment from the athletic department, Scott Barnes, has to be on board with investing in football. You note in the piece it's $2.2 million more than the staff Gary Anderson had at the end of his tenure. Do you get a sense on is that money coming from somewhere else? Is this revenue that you know they're anticipating with the expansion or the renovation of Reeser Stadium? Like, How are they coming up with the funds? Well, I, I think it's all a combination of, of, of what what you were just saying about Research Stadium. They they see the revenue, you know, that that, that place is going to throw off the interest in football that, that, you know, this program has generated in the last few years. And they see the, you know, the dollars increasing. And, I mean, the best way to keep this thing going is, is to keep the staff in place. And, yeah, that's, I mean, I mean, you saw quickly those, those luxury boxes and and seats went over research i mean they were that, that they weren't cheap at all and i mean they were gone quickly so yeah. i mean they wouldn't even quote me a price on them dash well i was last guy i said what's the price on these things and they're like uh they were looking at me going out of your price range yeah, i know i was there when they told you that <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't even give me a number i mean they gave me the number after after they were all sold and everything but uh yeah no they they looked at us and like, you guys, get out yeah, of here. Yeah, it's like when you go into a restaurant and they have the prices on the menu and then it says market, you know not to ask, yeah. you know? That, nope. That's what it comes down to. Uh, Dash, let me ask you here, like, Jonathan Smith preaches culture and continuity. I believe he only lost six players to other schools through the transfer portal. He's got some other guys in there that are uh, floating around in the portal, but um, you know, how does the continuity of the staff, in your mind, l- correlate with the continuity of the roster? Oh, it's. I mean, at this point, it's just starting to be a broken record because, I mean, they, they we, we, I think we talk about this almost every year about how 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 they how they, they really don't lose many players because they just love being in this program, and it's it, it's obviously not for everybody. I mean, it's. Oregon attracts a different kind of athlete than Oregon State, but Oregon State has, has you know, found their niche. They and they've got coaches that that you know know how to know how to coach and teach. I don't think they're you know they're they're demanding, but they're not overbearing, and they they let guys live their lives and let them become adults. 
and it's worked. I mean, shoot. I mean, there was. I, I think Oregon State might have been the only only team in the Pac-12 that didn't lose a single player during the second transfer portal window. I don't think anybody other than a, a, you know, I think four walk-ons. And I'm not counting. I'm counting scholarship guys. I don't think any of the scholarship guys left. And you would think after spring, it's pretty clear who you know, your role on the team, and, and nobody left. I, that's, I'm not saying that somebody won't leave here eventually because they, they've got to make some – at some point they got to probably pare a few <clears throat> numbers down to get to the 85, but but for, but for nobody left. And so, I mean, that just speaks to how guys like to be in this program. Nick Daschle with us, covers Oregon State. I'm looking at the beginning of the schedule for the Beavers. It's San Jose State on the road it's September 9th, UC Davis opening the new research stadium, and then it's San Diego State at home. Uh, let's break down those three games. How, you know, I, I like the schedule for Oregon State. I'm, you know, there's a, a real good shot. They're 3-0 and there, but, you know, where, where are the challenges as you see them? Well, the, the, the challenges, I think, start, I think they start with the Pac-12 schedule. I mean, I'm... Mm-hmm. I don't know how you can be, you know, every game you got to take seriously, obviously, but, but on paper, the three non-conference games they have, both should be wins. You know, San Jose State, and maybe the opener is, maybe the opener is a, a wild card because you never know what the other team has got. And they're both, you know, kind of feeling each other out. But you know, I think I saw somewhere where San Jose State was like, I want to say, Somebody had a you know rank one through one thirty, and San Jose State was like number one hundred. Um, doesn't mean they're not better than that, but obviously they're not thought well thought of. I, I just don't see any of those those three games being ones that you're that you would say, mm, yeah, that's they could be two and one. I don't see that. And then and then with Washington State, the opener, you know, it's a Pac-12 game, it's a road game, but I mean, I'm. I've been saying quite for quite some time that I'm I'm not high on Washington State at all, and I'd be shocked if Oregon State doesn't go to the Pullman and win that that one. So, I mean, this this Utah game on September 29th is just, I mean, it's as big a game as they've had at Reeser in in I don't know how long. Because I mean, if you win that game and start off five and zero, I mean, it's you're in the top ten. I, I mean, I, I we haven't talked about Oregon State in the top ten and what years yeah and i think the way i see the way i see that one dashiell is you know they have utah and then uh two or two weeks later they have ucla at home both at home if they win those two games the rest of their schedule is washington state cal arizona colorado stanford until you get to the last two weeks of the season they i mean i'm i'm gonna say it they you can make a case that oregon state could be 10 and 0 and hosting Washington in week 11 and then going to Oregon in week 12 like I think for the Pac-12 that would be phenomenal and of course for the Beavers it would be lights out it's it it's the best schedule in the Pac-12 I think this year even though they have you know play more road games in conference than not it's the best it's the best schedule in the I mean because the three non-conference games should be wins the road games you know Wazoo I mean Cal Arizona Colorado I mean, they could lose any of those, but on paper they, they they'll probably be favored in all four of those. 
Um, the Oregon game is the only road game that they have that, you know, obviously that's going to be a dicey one. And Washington, the last home game is going to be a dicey one. But, but you're right. I mean, you know, if everything comes together and they play, the defense comes together and, and this, you know, the quarterback situation gets itself sorted out. Let's talk I mean, about that. Let's talk about that. Let, I'm going to stop you right there. The quarterback situation, Aiden Childs, spring game, but he's still, you know, I don't even think he's 18 yet. Um, and and DJ, yeah, DJ, uh, he's the transfer. Um, you got Gulbrinson, who you kind of know who he is. Maybe he's improved a little bit. In your mind, does who is does the player that starts the opener, is that player the starter all year, or could we have a situation where Gulbrinson starts or DJ starts in week one and you look up in week seven or eight and now it's someone else? I've, I've asked Brian Lindgren this. I haven't asked Jonathan, but I asked, is there a possibility you could play both quarterbacks in, you know, the first couple games? Does this keep going? And he he said it's not out of the realm of possibility. I'd be a little surprised if that happened, but I think at this point it's so close. It's it's that close between those two. I I think a lot of people are writing off Gulbrinson, but I, he's never been a full time starter. He, he got he got his feet wet last year. He was pretty good, you know, at times, and he won seven out of eight games. You know, give him an off season to be the you know to be the starter. Let's see what happens in August. But I think either one of those guys could start. I don't. Yeah, I don't honestly think Childs will start just because I just physically he's going to be physically and, and probably the, the the position of what it demands. And given you know who he has to beat out, I don't see him being in there. But yeah, I, I mean, I I think there's there's possibility that there could be some you know some moving around here early in the season on the quarterback just because it's at this point it's that close now maybe once we get to august it'll become clear you know somebody will take over but at this point yeah it's it's, it's that close all right give me one thing nick dashell's doing this weekend uh on this beautiful sunny uh friday what, what are you doing for this memorial day weekend How do I, you know i'm not doing it i mean I, i'm gonna I got I got to follow the track a little bit of the track Oregon State track which I've never had to do before. Well, they're good. They're good. They're making you work. Oh, I know. No, I'm just gearing up for you know wedding weekend here in a couple of weeks. You know, Woo-hoo! both daughters and I'm throwing on a tux and gonna look you know like a proud dad. And What's that gonna out. be like for you? I have three daughters. Help prepare me for that. Like you've been through this wedding stuff. You have daughters. I have daughters. Our listeners have daughters. I'm sure. Uh, what's that been like this this last year or so? I'm just well. I mean, a lot of it's been Megan's pretty much taking care of the details. She really doesn't want us too involved in, in any of this stuff. So so she's been taking care of most of it. But um, I'm just hoping I can keep it together. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know what it's like to have daughters. Yeah. And, I mean, there's probably, I don't know, is there is there any any more, you know, emotional time than you know, kind of handing off the daughter to to someone else? You uh, like this guy? Be, you like him, or do we need to give him get him on the show? Yeah, he's a great guy. He doesn't know a thing about sports, which is which is great actually. <laughs> <because> <laughs> I just 
<laughs> I mean, you don't, you don't have to have that talk with him. No, oh no, I mean, I mean, I I think I told you the story about how my daughter she once said she goes, Dad, Joe is under orders never to talk to you about sports, and I said, well, why is that? And she says, because he asked me, did the Raiders play the Blazers? <laughs> I said, oh my god. Okay. Oh, well, oh, we all have our oh. thing, don't we? Are you going to have to give a speech at the wedding, or are you going to give a toast? Yeah, I don't, I mean, uh, Do you know yeah, what you're going to do, or what do you, you, you need to get on TikTok and Instagram and watch other toasts. My goal is not to get in trouble. That's my okay. goal, not to, get, yeah. not to get in trouble. And Play then, you know, we got our daughter, Dan. And, and, all right, you know, you'll be fine. You'll be fine, it's, minute to minute. It's six. Six hours. It's a six-hour. I just got the agenda today. It's an agenda. Oh boy. Well, it's actually right. a two-day deal where she's getting, she's doing. We're doing the wedding, and then the next day we're doing doing a ceremony at at at, at, at the Catholic Church. So it's a two. It's a double header. He's got a double header on the horizon. All right, spend your weekend relaxing. All right, Nick yeah. Daschle, good work. Thank you for joining us. All right, we'll see you. There he is. Good stuff from Dashiell. Oregon State's investing in football. Good for Jonathan Smith. Chasing continuity, you need that. It's fundamental. It's foundational. I told you at the spring game, I walked by him on the field, and we are talking. I said, hey, I was looking at the portal. Did you know you only lost six players in the portal? Of course he did. Two other schools. I said, Utah was second with eight. I said, what's that about? And he said, culture, and walked away. Um, you know, I think that's what Oregon State's angle is, and I, you know, they have to have an angle. Every program has to have an angle. Oregon's got an angle too. Utah's got an angle. Washington's got an angle. Everybody's figured out what their initiative is and and how they're going to play the system. But uh, it's interesting to see that the continuity of the coaching staff, the investment. What did uh, George Klyovkov say when he uh, took over as the Pac-12 commissioner? They were really trying to get the universities to invest in football and in men's basketball. And the return on investment was big. Here's Klyovkov talking about it back uh, in 2022. I think when you make those investments in coaches and in facilities and other football-related matters, you know, you end up getting better recruits. Uh, I think uh, we're already starting to prove that from the coaching changes that we've made uh, just in the last month or two. Uh, better recruits lead to more wins. That leads to direct and indirect revenue, alumni engagement, uh, increased undergraduate applications. I mean, you know, the, the return on investment for investment in football is undeniable. Did you see what he did there? He connected the investment in your coaching staff to your applications at the university. There's a path there, and it's true. Well, you know, Oregon State saw an uptick in admissions applications after going to the Fiesta Bowl and beating the pants off Notre Dame 41 to 9. Oregon saw an uptick in admissions and applications uh, after making a Final Four in men's basketball with Dana Altman and after getting to the, uh, you know, the BCS title game in 2011 and the National Championship College Football Playoff Final in 2015. Oregon had upticks in each of those years. There is a correlation there, and Klyovkov is doing it, and Colorado's too. Like you know, Klyovkov talked about this in uh, when as it pertained to Coach Prime getting hired at Colorado. Listen here. He is a proven winning coach. Sure, exactly. Yeah, so I don't think calling it an experiment is is fair. Okay. Uh, what I will say is, um, for me, it's another example of our school making an investment on football 
and getting an immediate return on that investment. Um, season ticket sales, sponsorships, donors, the collective, everything is stepping up to support Deion Sanders. And I welcome him to the conference. I think it's going to be great for the conference. I, you know, their first two games next year are on the road at TCU. That's going to be a great game. I can't imagine what the ratings are going to be for that game. And their second game is a home game against Nebraska, rekindling of that great rivalry. And by the way, the fact that it's a Big Ten, Pac-12 game, even better. So can't wait for that game. There you go. His, his mind may have changed on the Big Ten since that interview. Still, uh, the investment in football. Now, Oregon State is investing in its assistant coaching pool. It's not a bad way to go. Leave it here. Anna's popping into the studio on this Friday. I hope you're having a great day out there. There's a mouse in the house. Anna's in the studio. Um, hey, Nick Daschle was just on. He was talking about Oregon State's coaching staff getting paid $2.2 million in raises in the assistant coach uh, salary pool. Good for Jonathan Smith getting that done. But Anna, he was talking at the end of the interview about his daughter getting married and he's concerned about breaking down, getting through six hours of wedding, two-day affair. <laughs> Between the uh, the, the uh, wedding and then the ceremony in the Catholic Church. Oh wow, yeah, this is a big deal. Full over mass, there. full mass. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't ask that question. Yeah, yeah. sounds like it's going to be a full um, mass. And then it's uh, a lot of sitting and standing. Okay, but give you know, three daughters over here. Yeah, you, know, you ready? No, not now. There's there's <laughs> seven and nine and twenty. Yeah. No, I'm not ready. <laughs> I would be upset. In fact, what is this? What is this like eighteen twelve? You know, you're going on record right now. <laughs> you know, uh huh. But you look back, like I'm big on ancestry, yes, genealogy. You, are. you go on what I like to call genealogy benders. Yeah, <laughs> hey, uh-huh. it could be worse. I know. You know, I know. I'm if not... you're gonna have a bender, yeah, that's not a bad one to have. I'm not smoking cigarettes. <laughs> I'm not, you know, binge drinking alcohol. Yeah, I'm not hanging out you at the just, strip club, it's making just... it rain. Oh I'm just gosh. on ancestry. Yeah, you know, <laughs> poor you. Um, but I, I do know that like when you can get into like the 1800s and 1700s in yes. some cases, yes, you'll see like a 37 year old man marrying like a 15 year old. You know, yeah, really? It, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, you'll okay. see some wonky things yeah. that happen, yeah. like, you know, generation upon generation and generation ago. Well, they needed some hands to work the farms, yeah. you know? But you're seeing now, nowadays, people getting married older. Yeah, yeah, they for are. the most part. Or they're not, they're choosing to not get married at all. I mean, you know, that's I, kind of the Gen Z thing to do. No, just... But our kids talk about getting married, which makes oh, me our happy. our kids talk yeah. about it. It makes yeah. me happy because it makes me think that they must have a positive association for marriage. So far. You so know? far, yeah. Despite, jury, despite, still this, despite this radio show in the 4 o'clock hour, <laughs> they're still feeling it. <laughs> let's, not, let's not build ourselves up too much. They're still feeling it. Yeah. Uh, are you concerned that you will not be able to get through a wedding, like without mm. crying and losing your, you know? Oh, I'll cry. I'm. Come on, that's 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 assumed. Do you I'm think gonna cry. I, I think... cry at every. I I cry at everyone's weddings. It doesn't matter whether I'm related to them or not. I just cry because like. I, don't. I always think it's such a beautiful thing. But... I don't. I sit back and I go, is this going to last? And I kind of oh evaluate. Of course you do. I set odds. I text other people who are in the crowd and go, hey, what do you think? You know? Shocking. Plus 220. Yeah, you do the over-under. That they make it. Terrible. No, I'm kidding. Uh, the, uh, 
I think there's more pressure on the dad in a in a girl's a daughter's wedding than the mom. How so? Dad's giving a toast. Dad's doing the father daughter dance. Mom's just you know in a, oh, in a dress. Yeah, I guess so. Kind of talking to everybody that's there and doing all the planning. Yeah, much more involved in the planning. But the mom doesn't have stage time the way the dad does. True. At a, at a daughter's wedding. True. Yeah, it would be hard for like an introvert dad, right? Yeah, like me. Because you know, yeah, you're such an introvert. Um, you know, it could, because you are kind of on stage alongside your daughter, father of father of the bride. He needs to watch father of the bride. I think by the time it gets to the third daughter, I'll be pretty good at it, and I'll be looking around, going, "Man, anybody else need me?" Because like, now I'm good at it. Yeah. You know. Well, what I hope for Dashiell is that. He won't be so consumed with, you know, the stuff that doesn't matter that he isn't able to enjoy the stuff that does matter. What does matter? What does matter is, because, um, look, let's be real. There's a lot of, you know what, about weddings that doesn't matter. In the end. Can you not say the you know what? Are you talking about the BS? Because I want to say, like, I want to say a bad word, but I, I can't do that. Like, you're talking about the catering, the food, the... Well, food matters. you, you know. got to have enough food. you okay. got to... You can't the underserve... Linen, what color the linens are. It, that, that, see, that's, the shape of the tables. That, the centerpiece. Nobody's going to remember the centerpiece or the decorations. Like, very... I'm not going to say nobody's going to remember those. Very few. But that's the crap that just doesn't matter. The stuff that matters is that he gets some really special moments of connection with his daughter... And that he has moments within all the puss and fuss that he can sit and actually just take it all in. Yeah. It's That's good. the stuff that matters. Yeah. Is like having a moment where, let's say, ideally he gets a moment with his daughter and her groom, you know, mm -hmm. her soon-to-be husband. Yep. And he actually has a second to like impart to them whatever wisdom he might have about you know coupling and marriage and you know actually gets that Cause yeah just the very fact like if you sit back and you look at life and the fact that he's alive yeah right to be able to walk his daughter down the aisle and do all this stuff that's what matters i uh i think there's some pressure on the dad the father of the bride yeah and the best man and the maid of honor cuz they all those are traditional speeches at most weddings is that what he's and worried about the most is no, like the no he says just holding it together okay, okay. yeah yeah but uh, you know i've been the best man at a few weddings okay yeah. like you know all my friends they picked me as the best man <laughs> i'm the best man here we you go know. Here we there go. Maybe maybe think five weddings, not that anybody's counting. I was the best man. Not that many. Yeah. And five? And I was weddings four and five. I was much better giving a speech. <laughs> the first one and again, are you You've seriously been the best man in five weddings? Yeah. Five people said, That's my guy. <laughs> name That's names. my guy. Name names. One of them was yeah. my brother. Okay. 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 Well, One that of still them counts. Was my college roommate yeah. uh, Z. Yeah. Um, Chip. I was the best man at his wedding. Yeah. My other friend Chris, who got yeah. kicked in the head by a horse when he was a kid. Well, you know, so was, his judgment I might was have there been a little for, off. I was there for that. Yeah. I was there for that. And John Strong, the voice of American soccer. Oh, that's right. I forgot so, about that. Dang. You know. And listen, how is it that you have achieved that status what do you mean five oh, times. oh no there's six i forgot 
I forgot the grape farmer uh, friend of mine. Grape farmer yeah. friend. Dang. Six. Five of those marriages are still together. Well, there you go. My batting average, yeah. five out of six. Not bad. I'm like Tris Speaker over here, just hitting lasers into the outfield. <laughs> so but, what was your advice for Dashiell on giving speeches? I'm, I've stuff never and... been the father of a bride. What kind of oh. advice can I give on that moment? Um, I told him to go listen to some other speeches. Now, See, you have the benefit in this era of getting on TikTok, era. Instagram. You can see other speeches. Back then, I was cold. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was listening to uh, you know channeling Martin Luther King or Abraham Lincoln. That's all we had when it came to speeches. Kennedy <laughs> era. You know, that's all we had. You know, nowadays you can get on and the- you didn't you didn't give <laughs> best man speeches like you were giving some kind of like oratory oh, yeah, no. that was going to be marked out in the pages of history. I'm just saying I, I got I got better with each one <laughs> because I understood. The, the audience better each yeah, time. That's the key. Know your audience. Right? I understood what they were looking for was the, see, the brides, if you're you're the best man, let's just say you're the best man. Yeah. The, what the, or in, in Dashiell's case, you were the father of the bride. Right. The opposite side, the visiting team <laughs> just <laughs> wants to know something about the person that you're close with, either your daughter or if you're the best man. They want to know something about the right. groom. Right. They want to know. Who is this person? Right. Because Aunt Jenny or, you know, Uncle Charles is sitting in the audience. Right. They don't really know this guy. Right. Okay? Right. And so they're looking and it's going. It's a marketing. It's a marketing uh, a little presentation. Bit. A little bit of that. Really. And then a little bit of advice. <laughs> Got to have some humor. Humor's good. Not everyone's good at humor. Um, no, but if you're not, not good, good at, humor, at humor, don't try too hard. Right. To do that. Right. Um. One of the best uh, speeches I ever heard at a wedding was uh, there was uh, a bunch of people who had gone up and knew the individual bride uh, because she was a makeup artist. Okay. okay? And they kept the, the, the bridesmaids kept giving speeches going, I met her at the makeup counter at Mac. I met her at the makeup <laughs> counter at, you know, whatever. Right. L'Oreal or whatever it was. I don't even know. Yeah. And then so the best man got the mic and he said, I actually met him at the makeup counter, and the whole <laughs> audience just lost it because everybody was like, it's the same damn speech over and over again. That's funny. But uh, it's, uh, you know, I just think no, you, the audience is looking for, hey, help me understand this, this union. Right. I know the I know the home team. I don't know the visiting team. So don't get up there and like trash anyone. No. Because no. you know, even if you think you're being funny and doing it yeah. in jest, that is a I poor did that. taste. I did that at the first <gasps> wedding. I was the See. best man. My friend is cheap. At the first wedding, yeah, he was he was frugal, right? Frugal, and I started with frugal jokes, mm-hmm. and then kind of read the room, going, hmm. his side was laughing, yeah, her side was going, who is she marrying? Mm-hmm. This frugal guy is he cheap? Right. So, um, yeah, and you don't end, want to create reasonable no. doubt. And you're on not day the star one. of the show either. You're, right. You have to rec- you have to recognize that you're like. You know, the Frisbee dog at halftime at a football game. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. Or that gal that comes out on the unicycle and spins the plates and stuff. You got to be good. You got to be. Red you got to hold. You got to hold the, uh, <laughs> the, the audience's attention. But it, nobody buys a ticket to an NBA game to see the halftime show or right. a football game. Right. You know? You're like, there's a break in the action. This guy's going to try to kick a 25-yard field goal for... $20,000 and Dr. Pepper sponsoring it. That's you. And so you have to realize you don't want to take too much time. You uh, you uh, need to be um, informative for one side 
And then you have to end with, you know, your best wishes for them and mm-hmm. whatnot yeah. and a toast and, yeah. what, you know, and then you're good. But also, like, what's the, I mean, what's so bad about Dashiell breaking down? Okay. If he actually gets emotional, what's so wrong about that? Can, I mean, there there's a level at which if he just becomes an absolute mess and can't even get any words out anymore, and then there's a point at which... Uh, like the dad getting emotional like that makes everyone a little uncomfortable, but he's got a lot of leeway there. Like it's okay. a, it's he's going to be a friendly crowd. Okay, but in so. sports, he's a sports writer, and everyone's going to know that. I think there is a phobia in sports in general, and with men in general in public, with having an emotional moment. I'm not saying he shouldn't do it because mm-hmm. he because he absolutely should. It's his daughter. Right. He should be vulnerable. Right. But remember Adam Morrison in the NCAA tournament crying on the court. You remember the memes with Michael Jordan or or uh, Tony Romo crying. And, uh, you know, I was there when Adam Morrison cried. And Brett Favre, when he retired, he cried. Uh, you know, it was, it. you know, Roger, Fed- Roger Federer cried at the Australian Open. And then it's always in the wake of that that we have this show. Like, it'll happen over a weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, it happened just with the PGA Championship. And, you know, the guy who was the PGA pro finishing 15th, he starts crying and, of course, people were going, you know, okay. Most people were saying, oh, that's cool. You're a really vulnerable moment. Look at him crying. Other he people was were like, crying because he finished 15? He was crying because he had realized a dream. Oh, you know? oh okay. Like, why wouldn't yeah. he cry? Yeah. But, but yeah. we have a Happy thing to. in sports where we're like, you know, maybe it's not applicable to golf or tennis as much as the sports where we expect the athletes to be competitors and gladiators. But we see these vulnerable moments where they where people cry. And even, you know, the Michael Jordan crying Jordan meme ends up as a thing. Uh-huh. He cried because he made the Hall of Fame, whatever. And right. Like, what? You know, I don't get that. It's really tough dudes that like to make fun of the people that cry. The guy, those go. guys are really tough. There you go. Is that what it is? Sarcastic. There are, there are some people, though, who habitually cry in sports. They cry. I think you can have a good cry that's authentic. <laughs> Yeah. But if you're crying every week, who are you thinking of right now? Jeff Garcia, quarterback <laughs> NFL. I played high school football you're, with him. Your friend. He, he, He's your friend. He cried every week. He cried. <laughs> he would give a speech at halftime or before the game. Oh my gosh. And he would cry. Yeah. And it was really powerful. Like the first the five times first he five did times. it. Five times. Yeah. The sixth and seventh time, we were all kind of looking at each other, going, "When did the tears come? Here, there they go. He's oh, crying." Oh man, that's brutal. <laughs> and we had a coach. We had this coach. This guy, this guy was named Ed Johnson. Yeah, he was. Uh, he had coached. Uh, he had been at West Point. He was a military guy. Okay, uh-huh. he was hardcore. Okay, uh-huh. tough guy. Yeah, he had a bunch of sayings, bunch of no excuses, no nonsense. And we, we, he came in and he inherited the program. Mark Speckman, who is, uh, who uh, eventually coached at Willamette and now is at UC Davis as the offensive coordinator, was the original coach. Like my freshman sophomore year. Uh, Ed Johnson comes in the junior year. He's there one year. Uh-huh. And uh, it was about the second or third game of the year. Jeff Garcia is in the locker room giving a speech. He starts crying. We're all looking at each other. Here we go. And uh, Ed Johnson goes, look at Jeff Garcia. He's crying. And we were like, in about four weeks, you're going to understand why the rest of us are not moved by this. But, you know, he cared. He yeah. cared. He was moved to emotion each right. time. I shouldn't. You right. know, I don't know if he did it in the NFL. Yeah. I don't think it would work every week in the NFL. No. But Stephen's right. The people who criticize it are mostly 
fake tough guys. I don't even think they're tough guys. Do you think they're fake tough guys, Stephen, or real tough guys? Yeah, that, I was trying to use my sarcasm voice. They're definitely fake tough guys for sure. Have you ever cried in a sporting event? Yeah. Because you lost, or because you were they were happy tears. Um, it was both. It was yeah, losses, 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 frustra- losses frustration. Just really, yeah. During a game? No, after the game. I might have cried when I struck out or something when I was a little kid. Did anybody see you, or did you cry in the privacy of the locker room? Uh, privacy of myself. Mm-hmm. What was that? Because you didn't think it was acceptable to cry on the court? No, that's just because I got out of there as soon as I could because I was so Sprinted mad. to the locker room. Yeah, I was just so frustrated and mad with my yeah. team that we lost to terrible teams, and I'm like, what are you doing? Hmm. Have you cried, John, after, uh, um, during, amid? Sports? Uh, I when I was a kid, I can remember striking out when I was nine. I played with the older kids when I was nine. It was a miserable little league season, miserable. I batted 083. Oof. I was nine because my dad had played professional baseball. The major teams drafted me. Ouch! Because they thought, oh, his dad was Oof. a pro player. That is so. Let's put the unfair. nine-year-old up with you know. I should have been in minors. They put yeah. me in majors, and yeah, yeah. Uh, it wasn't that I, it wasn't that I couldn't get a hit. I couldn't make contact. Yeah. It I, it was all moving it was too fast. Fa- it was way yeah. too fast. I would get up there. It was three pitches. I'm That's out. I'm brutal. back in the dugout. I was striking three three times a game. I was striking out. Yeah. And uh, I can remember going back to the dugout just being like hopeless in Did that Did you cry in the dugout? Oh, yeah. Okay. And I also remember that I think back on it, it was good for me because there is no point in my adult life where I experience failure that I don't think I can overcome it. And I think it's I think it relates back to that youth sports experience and uh-huh. struggling and struggling and struggling. Finally, at the end of the season, I got a hit, mm-hmm. and I and the next season was a great season. You know, it didn't it didn't go the way it went the year before. Mm-hmm. And so I I think back, I draw on that still hmm. to this day, where I go, oh, that was really good for me to struggle. And by the way, my parents didn't run into the dugout and save me. <laughs> they let me sit in the dugout and cry. Yeah. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.